0: Hi, Carly. Hi. Hi, Carly. Hello. You have the
1: best hair. I can't even get through the first moment.
2: It is so great, isn't it?
1: Thank you. I, I wish th- you could see it in all its glory because it, this lighting doesn't do it justice. But my it's blue under there. Yeah, my hairdresser is an evil genius.
3: Hello, and welcome to Table for Five with no reservations. Take a seat at the table for a fresh, sweet, salty, tart, and pleasantly bitter conversation.
2: Thank you for taking a seat at the table. Tonight, we are continuing our school chat in the series. I have Jen Dunn with me tonight.
0: Hi, everyone.
2: Rachel Flanagan.
0: Hey, everybody.
2: Kim. Hi, there. Jamie. Hello. And our special guest tonight is Carly Ray. We're going to be talking to her about formal school system and a school she had ran and run in uh, Missoula, Montana, and she's a friend of mine, so I'm excited about that. Yay. So, yeah, hey, Carly.
1: Hi, Taba.
2: So if you want to tell the people who you are, kind of what you do, your background a little bit, that'd be awesome. Uh,
1: So, unfortunately, the sad news around all of this is that during the pandemic, we closed Learn, Inc., Um, the board of directors, I had stepped off the board of directors in January of 2020 and then the board of directors chose to close um, when the pandemic hit. But I am, my background is in psychology and actually movement therapy, fitness and um, bodywork massage therapy. I currently am teaching here in Missoula at a massage school and I do integrative bodywork Um, that focuses on like neurosensory systems and structural integration and really trying to like reorganize and rewire people's systems, whether they may land somewhere on the spectrum or have some other diagnosis or uh, a lot of trauma, a lot of trauma clients. Uh, And then I teach at the massage school here. And I also have a coaching business that offers coaching and personal development that surrounds the topics of stress, toxic stress overload, managing stress, managing communication. And one of the niches that I work with is actually young men to help them have Better relationships have success in whatever arena of life they might be finding struggles in. But uh, at my school, it was mostly teenage boys. And you know, here we are almost three years since the closing of the school, and now all of those boys are now young men. And I, you know, in that whole process, realized that our culture really has forgotten our little boys in a, in a lot of regards of teaching them how to get their needs met and teaching them how to. Communicate their needs and understand, and really doing all that without perpetrating violence, and yeah, <laughs> um, and so and so I I do work with all genders when it comes to stress, but I I really focus on a lot of personal development with with young men and actually men of all ages. So
2: yeah, that's great. So we wanted to talk a little bit because we we all have our opinions on public school and. Good and bad. Some of our kids have gone, are going back, uh, made their way through. We've done a variety of different types of options outside of public school here. So tell me a little bit about what started the school, what was the purpose of the school, what you guys did there, the function of it a little bit.
1: So we always said that the school started us. We (laughs) were working with a handful of kids over a summer program and they all presented with different manifestations um somebody who was considered asperger savant before they put asperger into the spectrum um dsm and i we had a like very low verbal uh autistic boy a couple kids that had like early relational trauma I worked in this modality called Handle, which stands for holistic approach to learning. Wait, H A N, holistic approach to neurodevelopment and learning efficiency. And it was oh, developed a
2: mouthful. It's <laughs> yeah.
1: it developed by a woman named Judith Bluestone, who was on the spectrum herself, and it's a set of functional exercises and therapeutic touch techniques that aim to soothe and or stimulate the neurosensory systems, the various neurosensory systems. And we, Missoula is about 70,000 people. So, you know, smallish town. And we kind of became this word of mouth known as the afi whispers where we just were able to reach these kids and have it turn into something that they were happy to leave the house and go and do and so when the fall of that year i think it was 2013 rolled around the parents reached out to us and Said so. This fall, you're gonna take them full time, right? <laughs> and and that's what started the school. Uh, and we grew. Got gotta, gotta, yeah, gotta love those parents.
2: Yeah, gotta love those parents. So. Yeah
1: every school year in the fall there's a huge scramble so we developed what we called individualized learning opportunities and so the curriculum was built around each child and we were very small uh at the end we maxed out i think it's 17 students so we started with four and then grew over the years and every child had their own learning plan their own development plan built around their specific needs in academics didn't really come into play until like high school age. And we also were unaccredited by choice. My executive director said that there was not an accrediting body that he was willing to attach his name to, and that we would have to sacrifice the model in order to gain the accreditation. So it was very, very alternative. It was play-based, movement-based based off of a lot of Socratic learning kind of practices and nonviolent communication, uh, which is a beautiful curriculum created by this man named Marshall Rosenberg that really identified needs, feelings, requests, and kind of moves through this cycle of how we might uh, communicate ourselves in our struggles. And then we looked through this lens at the child of neurosensory development and what, was going on in their nervous system that was resulting in the behavior that we as the adults might consider undesirable. And it was it was such a beautiful thing. We would have quarterly meetings with the family and the kids really had their own agency and their own autonomy. One of the main rules, I don't know if rule is the right word, but one of the main agreements that we made with the students is that they were allowed to say no. And they were allowed to have autonomy over their body and their learning path. And it didn't always look like one would think it is supposed to look. But the main thing that we were concerned about was helping these children regulate to their bodies and regulate to their environments. And, and then academics, you know, when they want to learn, they will. Like no mm-hmm. one's going to sit idle. And when it matters to them, they will engage. And the best example is when a few of them were in driver's ed. Mm. Well, they were learning that driver's ed manual (laughs)
2: yeah yeah, they wanted to
1: drive Um, and so we had just amazing resources we had a great library we had a great movement space uh, we had a great music studio we had an amazing computer lab they got to build their own gaming computers uh, and just like so much support from the community to give these kids this amazing experience and I think for myself and, and for the people that work for us and the partner that I built the school with we just wanted to be a safe adult for these children we Mm. have they all came with pretty significant horror stories of being in the traditional model you know the Asperger savant brilliant child his second grade teacher could not fathom another way to test his math skills besides worksheets and pencil on paper rattled his bones and so it would be a knockdown drag out in the classroom, going out the door to school. And like, he, he doesn't need a worksheet. He is a calculator in his brain. He's like, he's not going to write out every step of like that, the waste of his life to do that. And it really <laughs> hurts him to use graphite on paper. And I had another student who was duct taped to his desk by his second grade teacher
0: Uh, he would not
1: sit still and so he just flat out refused to go to school for years and we slowly slowly got him to go actually um Zach and Shane went and sat in on his one of his therapy sessions uh, to just say hey man just walk through the door Like, (laughs) like if you're there whatever you want or need to do is totally okay we just want you to come and he is actually one of the kids that we got to graduate from the program and um, went into the Marines. <laughs> yeah. That's
2: amazing, yeah. Yes.
1: So you know, everybody had their own unique story, whether it was a diagnosis or behavior problems or early relational stuff. None of them were successful within the traditional model, and a lot of them had a lot of deeper on the pyramid of learning layers that they needed to deal with and academics didn't really kick in until like 16 and mm-hmm. then how we would get them college ready is we would uh, just have them get their GED or in Montana the equivalency is called the high set and so that's that's where academics came in and um, one of my graduates also went on to go to college and um, he's doing amazing yeah. um, sometimes around town he's 24 now
2: Wow. So one of the things that we talk about often is kind of like the fight sometimes, not sometimes, I would say a lot of times if you don't know what you're doing when you're dealing with a public school or this formulaic system of education, which a lot of us parents don't know, or it can be emotionally triggering to us, like me specifically, like I can read whatever they want to send over to me. But for some reason, the school process is just so draining and emotional for me to deal with because you walk in and then like a, a fighting stance almost is it and yeah. you can reshape it and change it to be collaborative but you have to climb a mountain in order to do that you know so tell us a little bit about like what what can public in your opinion what could public education do now in their formula that they have to support kids like uh, our kids you know what could be different
1: well I think that The college process for training teachers needs to be completely different. The way that technology has changed our culture, our school system is not actually keeping up with the way that information is gleaned and learned in a lot of regards. And most entry-level teachers have no idea about special, you know, like Zach had a master's degree in autism. And that that even was like a heavy ABA, curriculum, which now there's actually studies coming out that are saying that ABA is not the answer. And it it works really well with little, like the little kids, Once the child has any kind of their own personality or, or any sense of their own agency, ABA is, is not the answer. I I think it's, it's a systemic issue, you know, like it's, I don't know if anyone's seen Waiting for Superman. Uh, it was the documentary that Michael Moore made, Mm -hmm. um that like the the whole educational structure is wrapped up in lobbying and corporate law and, you know, like a, a lot that your average public school teacher, their hand are tied. They, yeah. they have a lot of freedom, you know? And so my heart goes out to all the teachers. It's such a tough job. And I think that early childhood development, you know, is, is probably another thing that is really important and universal pre-K
2: and you know all of these, Yeah all these, all these magic wands yeah. we'd like to now, all these things like that to. like
1: need to change yeah. within our system so that kids can be school ready. But when it comes to the autistic population, we have to change everything you know like like yeah. we we kept saying like the whole system needs to be like leveled and rebuilt in a way that actually serves the need of a biological being you know that that has appropriate lighting and appropriate resources and appropriate places to sit like to sit in a plastic chair under fluorescent lights for 40 hours a week isn't good for a neurotypical person um let alone someone with sensitivities and so there's so much to do and I think really one of the best things that public educators can do is can learn how to look at a child through a lens of their neurosensory system learn yeah. how to see behavior at like the deeper level of like they're not skilled to use their words they're not yeah. skilled to even understand what's going on with them and so it's the adult's job to understand what's going on with them and to not label or pathologize the behavior yeah you know to like see that the behavior is this this little being is crying for help and they don't know, you know, and so they can't be forced and they can't, you know, like they can't be moved and they they have to have space and they, they have to, Have someone who understands what's going on with their system and so like empowering yourself as an educator through continuing ed is really important. And another thing is to learn a language of nonviolence, to learn how to strip away judgment and evaluation from the way that you treat a child. Um, and to really learn how to communicate yourself in objective reality and to ask the right questions and and to help, you know, like even, even in taking our kids into public, there was always an opportunity for me to teach another adult. That's not how you treat a child who's misbehaving. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you were halfway
0: through that sentence, Carly, and I'm like, yeah, you did.
1: (laughs) You know, and then we would get back to school, and I would say, okay, let's talk about how not all adults are skilled, and so when we go into public, can we maybe think about how other adults are not going to see our behavior and deal with us in the same way, so, like, how how can we, like, plan and I'm talking to my high schoolers you know like how can we plan to not be verbally assaulted by a stranger adult yeah Like how can we prevent that from happening oh
2: and I think we do like uh, I the IEP table like when we go into public school and have to sit down and make these goals and do this whole rigmarole for the uh, get our kid to get our kid support that's necessary I always take an opportunity to like do the teaching in a fast quick fire space because I want my son to be successful in school. It's not something I want to do necessarily, but for him to be successful, I have to go through this whole thing that is like, okay, we need visual support. We need X, Y, and Z to make this successful. If you have an issue, if something changes, let me know so we can work on it at home and try and modify and prepare him because the facts are that a teacher who has 16, 20, 25 kids in their classroom can't do the amount of preparing or talking because we talk to our kids so much in order for them to grasp concepts and to understand what's coming next. Let me be a support for you in the classroom to do that. Because if you tell me ahead of time the schedule is going to change or that something is going to be wonky, like even something as simple as like a dress up day at school can cause complete havoc on the system uh, you know so if you let me know about that ahead of time i can say okay do you want to dress up for school which for nixon is absolutely never um no thank you (laughs) he doesn't participate in that business but he loves seeing the other kids dressed up you know so i can say all the other kids are going to be in their pajamas today you don't want to wear yours that's totally fine and it doesn't phase him to not be in the pajamas like the other kids but the real thing is like this piece that's missing is this collaborative space where you empower parents instead of it feeling like you're fighting for yeah everything like give me an opportunity to support you also in the classroom because we can work together because I know you don't have everything that you need in order to make this successful so if you want me to do that let me know because I'll do it you know and not
3: parents the partner a partner in what you're doing because it's our kids like yeah don't understand that and so much is hidden around like oh we can't say this because of these rules or what and it's like this should not be this way at all that was
1: one of the things that we implemented at learn inc was the there was the learning team and the parents were part of the learning team and, you know, one of my students had an occupational therapist, a speech pathologist, his parents, his like person who was kind of the nanny a little bit, and then us, the educators. And so he had seven people on his team that would get together and talk about his needs and talk about his trajectory and his success. And we reached this point where his mom was like, he's driving. <laughs> <laughs> six adults ditch pa- dispatched to this young man's wellness and, and his learning and so of course he's thriving you know because people are looking at it and so that's I, I think like having some sort of a, ability for there to be I don't know a slack channel or some sort of technology where parents can communicate with teacher Yeah, you also think that one person in 20 children is not safe
2: you know <laughs> you're great with that one. You know,
1: and and so I know there's a lot of paras yeah. out there and that kind of stuff but the, the you know we used to have the analogy that it would it would turn into lord of the flies um sometimes up in there where, where the children would just get into that mom mentality and kind of take over the the place mm-hmm. and I can see how that level of stress and frustration leads to yelling, leads to shaming, leads to tactics that just shut a person down. But in the nonviolent communication curriculum, he talks about how you never want to push anybody, especially a child into a corner where their only options are to submit or rebel. Mm, Um, and, and so like, yeah, I would love to see the Handel Institute get into the public school system and start training teachers. Um, Well, it's,
2: it's mind blowing, especially like, you know, the district here in Billings is short on resources, especially for like self-contained classrooms. A lot of kids are being pushed into the regular mainstream classroom with limited support. And if you can provide even just a glimpse of the information and knowledge to regular gen ed teachers they can be a support not only in their own classroom but in other classrooms you know like teach them information that's all it takes I mean really like don't like for my son if if you are trying to push him into and you know our kids need guidance and they need motivation and they need to be pushed sometimes because also our kids will not do anything that they don't really want to (laughs) do frankly you know but if you're trying to really push when the, there's an elevated situation, it's going to cause some kind of reaction. A, shut down. B, get out of, however, to get them out of their personal space. And with our kids, their personal space flows way further than any other, like me, you know, like I can deal with personal space being close. But for our kids, when they're elevated, you need to get, out of there you know what I mean like even simple things like that on how to like let them come down before you start the pushing again you know you can't force them into this this space so it's pretty fascinating and it's really fascinating that when you pair all this back and think about their system and their energy and their body it's successful let them be in control of their space which I think we have this idea that kids should never be in control of anything. <laughs> and probably from the swing of our generation where we like free flying human beings out in the world, free to do whatever we want. <laughs> and then people have pulled that back and been like, well, maybe that wasn't the greatest idea. <laughs> Let's not do that. But there's um, the other
3: expectation on the other end when they're adults, as soon as they're 18, they're yeah. expected to just be able to handle everything on their own when they've never yeah. been allowed. And especially for our kids, it's like, you know, most of us are going to have to have guardianship and help our kids through that adult part of their lives. But like, there's no, there's no training in public school about how to make that tradition or how to like figure stuff out on their own. Like, and like you were talking about early, Carly, like our schools were designed around the idea of like, basically keeping the children contained in, you know, in for that specific part of the day, you know, so parents could work and different things like that. And so it wasn't really a system divine designed to like do the it's best kid or end indi- of like individually helping each of our children
1: yeah i've often said that the public education model in america creates compliant consumers
3: mm. and it hasn't
4: changed very much like it has changed a little bit but like when you think of like back in the 50s the 60s like the expectations is still almost the same but the children are so different you know and in the way people parent are different and Everything you know, we have so much more information about what works and what doesn't work, and how individual children are. Like that's how the the teachers are taught at school now, but they're still going by this model where one rule is supposed to fit. It's not every you know um, one size fits all. Like at all, it's many many different sizes in one (laughs) classroom. But it's like they're still kind of going, and and I think this goes for not just like our kids, even typical kids. Like there are some kids that just don't learn as well. Um I know now they have all this stuff saying there's not different types of learning, but you know, some people do well with listening. Some people do well with what like it's it everybody's so different. And it's like they're still trying to teach on this one model. Right. So yeah. like that do, just doesn't make sense. But I know financially and all that stuff, like it's, you know, it's what works for that side of it. And some people just aren't academic learners. Like some people just aren't as inclined to learn that way or or you know, so it's And not like, every
2: I, kid's gonna really go hard. to college. I mean that's what it boils down to. Not every kid's path is college. And we live in a generation now where there's kids on YouTube making millions of dollars, doing their jam, not having to get a college education. Do you know what I mean? The technology has changed the function of money in itself. And let I think they're the
4: back on that now, Tabitha, like for a lot of stuff is like now they're pushing now they're starting to push kids to go to trade school. Yeah, It's like, yeah. because there's nobody, nobody to work in the, the, there's no, nobody to work <laughs> in the school. Because nobody's trade. fixing the elevators, temples Yeah, And you're going to make a lot of money as an electrician or a plumber or something like that because there's so few people doing that. They're in such high demand. So it's like, now yeah. they're,
3: it's like now they're rethinking their <laughs> they're like, Yeah, Wait a <laughs> Our education system is really set up to go to college. Like that's yeah. what, I mean, my sister's a college counselor. That's what she does. She gets, she tries to get the yeah. kids to go to college. And Which I think is great for some people and obviously higher education in certain ways. But like a lot of people don't, and a lot you can just learn online on, you have the internet for free for a lot of things. And what I thought about earlier, Carly, when you're talking about the motivation for these kids and they're not even ready to learn yet because a lot of our kids have to learn how to learn or find the motivation to learn. I think for a lot of individuals on the spectrum, it's really like, like for my son, I just think about like, he's not going to do something just because. Like yeah. he will do it because there's a reason to do it. And so it's just so black and white in my head, they're like, well, I'm not gonna learn algebra because I will never use this in my life. And so they need like the actual motivation to learn. Like, oh, like you're talking about, like they want to drive, so they're gonna do that. So yeah. I just wish there was more of that supported at schools. Yeah, and my daughter daughter.
0: goes to a school that's in we live in Minnesota. It's called a level four school. It's basically like ultra supported. She has a crazy high staff ratio to super low student count. And it has curved hallways and lights and window boxes to sit in and wiggle chairs instead of desks. And all of the things are, you know, have attention paid to them. But it's a part of the public school system. So it's this many months out of the year. It's Closed on all of these days. It's this, so they can acknowledge that my kid needs a care team that's seven deep, but only these nine months. Like there is no continuation of that, and so we risk regression, aggression, all the issues, yeah. all the yeah. all the crummy fallbacks, all the mm-hmm. things because I am one Ooh. with a concussion. Sometimes one, you know, like one. I just it's such a breath of fresh air, Carly. Like I I want to pre like pause this uh, recording to say, we invite you back when you open Learn Inc. again. And then <laughs> we each franchise a damn location for all of our compounds that we're building and dreaming of. Because
2: <laughs> truly,
0: it's not about school. It's about learning to learn so that you can progress in what you want. It's about being a whole person and being valued and honored as such. I would sign anything to get my daughter out of any regular old program to get her in a place where she can be honored and supported, empowered and like stretched. I just think it's beautiful. So, I mean, just welcome back next time you're ready to open again. We will have you that day. (laughs) And then we'll be your first five franchisees. 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 I
1: (laughs) I think the real way to reach is to try and educate educators and educate legislators.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, Because we ran into a lot of obstacles in seeking the accreditation and trying to talk to the, the guy who holds the purse strings for the state of Montana for autism services we had the worst meeting of our lives with him he was so dismissive and so rude and basically was like if you're not coming to me with evidence based peer reviewed and basically just shut it down you know <laughs> Meanwhile, and, all the parents are like so, watch like, this take my friends kid
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, you want to come stay with our kids for a week and then see how it works that's evidence based and
1: (laughs) and I also think implementing some sort of curriculum for high school seniors on parenting and child development really of like this this is what it's gonna go down um and giving people because something that also happens is that Public school teachers receive a lot of kids that don't get the parenting that they need.
2: Mm-hmm. It's a hard job. I mean, yeah. it really is a hard job. And, yeah.
1: And, you know, like there, there is a lot of people that enter into parenting, not totally ready. Um, and I would say most parents enter into parenting not totally ready.
2: Yeah. Even if you think you're ready, brace yourself.
5: Cause... Yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> So I would say all,
5: I would say all parents. Yes. In terms of parents well, and I'm just going to say, looping back to the educators, you know, and, and unfortunately, it's kind of like you said, Carly, like they don't, they don't get to choose what is brought in or what I'm sure they would like that extra help and that extra knowledge of, of all of those things. But like you said, it's the guy holding the purse strings, right? So the educators don't really even get a say in it. Right. And they're the ones essentially that are overwhelmed by it. Like Tabitha said, having our kids mainstreamed, not enough pe- people to take care of them, overwhelmed children in a classroom full of neurotypical children. You know, it's just a recipe for disaster. Really. It's like a volcano waiting to erupt. Yeah.
4: And I've spoken to um, my niece has, she doesn't have a diagnosis, but she has behavioral issues, emotional dysregulation and stuff. And like her teacher said, the pandemic too has just she said she's she had six kids in her classroom with all similar things. Six in a kindergarten classroom. I mean, that's that's a lot. That's a lot for a teacher to be doing along with doing like all the regular stuff, even with the parents. But unfortunately, parents are out sick. They're pulled for different reasons, yeah. I and mean, sometimes these teachers are, are by themselves. Like it's there's just not enough help in the school,
5: so it's yeah, like they're stretched out, and then you well, we
2: pay it. we pay them pennies. Two. Yeah. that's the other yeah. thing our educators do not make enough money it's out absolutely ridiculous you and can go a
0: fully staffed district cool.
2: yeah especially yeah. after the pandemic a fully staffed
4: anything really yeah
2: anyway yeah. i know yeah so the tr- the tr- you can do training for teachers let's talk about that <laughs> what can you do for the education system
5: so so we've
1: done a couple. We did like a trauma informed classroom education seminar with Conscious Pursuits, uh, and then we did a an NBC education with Conscious Pursuits, um, and we're actually able to offer OPI credits. So I I just need to like look into that again because Zach kind of headed up the the bulk of that. Uh, arm of it all. But, you know, I have some neurosensory curriculum that just talks about the various neurosensory systems and how they work and what disruptions within those systems look like, um, which I think would be a great seminar to to put forth. Uh, it gives teachers just a different set of goggles to look through and see a child um in this different lens and i also have been on this kick of uh stress management and and managing stress overload and managing burnout and the actual evidence-based uh techniques and ways that are coming out around how we discharge the physiology physiology of stress from our bodies so that it doesn't build up and turn into meltdown or shutdown or burnout for us.
2: Yeah, which we all deal with uh, at this table. <laughs> I will tell you we're all at a level of burnout most of the time. <laughs> uh, most of the time. <laughs> us,
3: and
2: <our> children. <laughs> us and our children.
3: What I found is like a lot of the special education teachers at least have an idea of this and like the school psychologist or the speed pass all because they're around this realm but sometimes when I run into something with a just everyday regular teacher they clearly have no idea about this stuff and some of it like you can almost see in their minds, like, oh like we had a run-in with my son's teacher and she's oh, like yeah well, I know he's capable of this like because she's like he, he wasn't like sitting I can't remember what was but he wasn't staying still that line yeah yeah like she's like I know he's capable of it because he's done it before and I'm like honestly, that day before he was probably in his head watching a episode of Peppa Pig. Like you don't know. I just said, well, you know, he's a roller coaster. There's up and down it. Like he could be anxious about something that's happening in a week. And I don't know it because he can't communicate that. And so he's moving more or he's excited about something and he's moving more. And, um, and she's like, yeah, she's like, oh yeah. And then she just made some comments. She's like, well, but I know he can do this. So I'm going to uphold him to it. And I was like, that's okay. I was like, but he is autistic, so he might not do the same thing he did today that he did yesterday. And she just had no clue. And then we eventually got to agreement that if he's he's moving around a lot, maybe let him go run in the hall or let him have a fifteen minute break. And she was just like, oh, like you could kind of see in her mind. But to her, like credit, no one ever taught her that. And she, I don't think she had children of her own at that time. Like I don't think she really ever even realize that whatsoever and I'm like just throw that out there that that might be something (laughs) but they have no idea because they don't teach it at all you don't have to learn it unless you are a special education teacher anything but again if
5: they're going to integrate our children into Mm -hmm. mainstream classrooms then it is somebody's responsibility to make sure that any teacher that has our children in their care, and again, no fault to the teachers because if they're not given the resources, they can only do it. They can do with 35 kids in a classroom. Again, what Tabitha said, they're not paid nearly enough, but they, they should have that that debriefing or- Foundation. Yeah.
2: I mean, foundation, that's Yeah. Be,
4: let's be honest, a chapter in a book or a yeah. online yeah. little thing that you do is not going to prepare you it's
5: it, it, it's not yeah. it's not going to you know what I mean you can read about it but, but maybe it wouldn't be the shock level of why he's not sitting down you know what I mean like something kind of so basic like that
2: well I feel just...
0: that super yeah. deep about administrators like I'm like okay we need your I've been fighting for this school that Seely's now in entering as like she's a rising third grader she got into it halfway through her second grade year but I've been fighting for this placement since pre-K, like knowing I have a hellcat here and she's leaving your building, like actively. But I have to sit at meetings where the people have never met a Celie Flanagan or ever heard of the words that we're discussing. They've never cared about an IEP. And I'm fighting for every single word in those sentences because each of those relates to what she's going to get.
2: Yeah. And these
0: people have never heard any of these words. Like how do we need your signature how are you the gateway to better if you have no idea how dare you hold the purse string if you don't
2: have any clue well well even just giving information such as you know generally there's an issue with sleep with kids who are autistic some people might not even know that generalized knowledge that our kids really may have mom is a bitch. maybe be showing up <laughs> at two hours two hours of sleep Uh, The kid might have slept two hours and then they're going to do a whole day of school. They might not be able to participate in any activities, period, that whole day because they've slept for two hours. Lots of them have problems with food. They don't eat regular diets. If you're trying to force them as part of their IEP to eat the school lunch, that stuff's not going to happen. Good luck with that. You know, like if they get dysregulated, they might lose their speech. Also, please don't force my kids to make eye contact if they need to raise their hand in the classroom, because that's also going to make them comfortable uncomfortable and they're not going to want to raise their hand and participate in your classroom. I mean, there's all these little simple bits of information that could make all the difference
1: mm-hmm. for
2: our kids walking into a classroom the very first day that. Really, I mean, I think you would get from the parents, the individual kids' parents, but also there's pockets of generalized information about autistic people that is kind of across the board. You know what I mean? Like, I know every single one of our kids at this table has sleep challenges you know I mean <laughs> we're yes. all not sleeping and please don't mess with me on a day when my kids only had two da- hours of sleep and I, <laughs> not...
3: the I think you, also be sensitive to my parents hasn't slept the parent
2: I,
4: <laughs> I think that also gets very confusing too because somebody I know you say that Tabitha but it's so individualized and different so like someone might have a kid that has falls under none of that so then the next autistic kid comes and they're like they're expecting them to be mm-hmm. the same
2: you know what I mean? Yeah, the same I'm just the, saying, yeah, I'm just saying, yeah, if you know these well, things, then you can ask the parent, right? You no, can say, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. just
4: saying, I think that causes a lot of confusion with people in general, where oh,
2: absolutely, they have yeah. this
4: one idea of like, what an autistic kid is, whether because that's what they were experienced with, or they had in their classroom, or whatever yeah, it is, and yeah. then they expect, you know, you get the next kid, and it doesn't matter where they fall in the spectrum, whether they could be, you know, high function, they could be on the severe side, you, you have such an array of differences. I think people mm-hmm. get an idea of what they think it should be or like like the art teacher, what they think the kid should be capable of or is capable of. I mean, it's uh. so, I, I, think, I feel like that's so hard because like some kids are, can, can be capable of something one day, but the next yeah. day, or maybe they're capable in the morning. But like by one o'clock in the afternoon, they might not be capable. So it's like, there's just, there's so much to it. I think there's so much, you know, Us to hell with
0: social studies when you could be at Carly's school talking about feelings. Like (laughs) there's so many things that are just not applicable. Like I don't care if my kid knows the progressive math ladder of like American education, if she's starting the house on fire. Like, we need to be talking about the right things here, you know, with this kid in this crucial time all the time. I just feel like the compass is... I just, just think a lot of the on. issue, too,
4: is, is um they expect everyone to be universal. Even yeah. though they say they don't, they do. Like... I had an issue with my daughter who has ADHD. So she did not test out as having a disability, even though she has the ADHD. So she could not get an IEP. That's just the way it worked. And her teacher went out on maternity leave like very early, a couple weeks into the school year. And they had a sub for like eight to 10 weeks. And the sub literally said to me, She goes, Yeah, she goes, She just has such a hard time. Like I have to redirect her constantly to the math work. That's not weird. She has ADHD. And why are you even saying this to me? I was like, oh, you do know that she has ADHD. She's like, yeah, I know. And she's like, and she's always writing like I love gymnastics on her paper instead of like listening to the lesson. And I'm like, well, she like, like, I don't. I maybe you should Google it. Like, I mean, I know she was a substitute, but like. I mean ADHD I mean, like forty percent of the kids have that. So it's like you know, they always say these like things to me and I'm
3: like, I'm like, you're literally describing and I'm not educated in this at all. Like, you know, like this we all that had is. to learn all this from having kids that have yeah. Like- yeah, it's just like it's
1: just like
4: so bizarre sometimes because she's wanting her to fit in with the rest of the class and she's not going to. Like and it's not they're not like behavioral issues, not like anything out of the ordinary which Sometimes makes it harder because it's like they're like, No, she's paying attention. I'm like, I assure you, she's not. She <laughs> <Like, laughs> well, yeah. may look like she's paying attention, but like it's like you said about um Jesse, Jamie. It's like you don't know there's something else. She's probably yes. doing the cartwheels in her mind. Like she's not paying attention to what well, you're saying. Well,
3: that's like for me when I was growing up. If I was doodling or drawing, I was listening. That's how I did listen. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of uh dirt. But I was gonna say the sad thing to me about our public school system and thinking about that situation and Steely's situation is that our kids literally have to fail to get the support and help they need. And so we literally set up our system for our kids to fail. Mm -hmm. So So our kids get this in their minds that they are failures and that they are set up in situations where they have to fail to get help. And that is so sickening to me.
2: It's terrible. That is my biggest problem and probably why I get so emotional about this school process is because you're literally telling me that you're not going to provide the supports to my child until they're not a success if you provide the supports for them they can be a success Mm -hmm. and learn how to do this right off the front gate let like don't tell me that you can't implement this stuff unless they're struggling that is absolutely ridiculous no
4: and inconsistency is such a key for learning disabilities autism ADHD other things and I don't know why the schools don't see that because um, I was quoted that because my daughter got 105 on a geography quiz that proved that she didn't need academic help (laughs) no that proved that she liked what she was learning at that time and what like my daughter would do is like all her focus would go on like geography I should be failing everything else or like everything else would go to the wayside. So then she'd have to jump from... And she learned to compensate. Like, she would go on that parent She photo, also liked her gymnastics grade.
0: then, too, though. At yeah,
4: she would, and then she'd be like, oh, this grade's dropping. Let me go to this subject. Do, 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 one do. One editor. Right yeah, one editor. Because she couldn't... It t- takes her 110% effort to do it. You mm-hmm. can't do 100% effort in six subjects. Like, no. you can't... You burn out. Like, she'd be crying her eyes out, me trying to get her homework. It, it was just they just they didn't care they didn't want to like it's like you said they want to see her fail and she'd have to fail across the board not like you know and eventually in middle school she did get put on a 504 but it took no it was when she was leaving middle school so she did get help for high school but it was like it took so long and so much fighting and my other daughter my daughter was autism and never had a fight for a thing it was just like they're like, oh, she gets this, this, and this. And I'm like, oh, so we are always very fortunate because I think her needs were more severe than what the school could provide. So she was always outsourced. She always got what she needed. But so when I had my other daughter, who was very different, obviously she was able to function and be in, in the regular classroom and stuff like that. But like, they wouldn't support her because it was like she wasn't like behind enough. Her scores weren't low enough. But the struggle was so real. It was just and she still struggles like she's in college now and she still you know what I mean that struggle and that's going to always be with her because she never got the support that she should have got so it's always like fake it till you make it I mean but you can only do that so far you know
2: yeah well Carly well I feel like we could talk to you about this stuff yeah. for many hours <laughs> Many hours. We're I just going
4: to bring you around to all the states, to all the schools. We're, we're, <laughs> yeah. we're
2: going to do it. Get a tour of us.
4: Yeah, before <laughs> before we, like,
0: Tabs is hosting, so I know that this could be a wrap up that she's trying to pull off right now. But I need to know
1: <laughs> quickly, as a
0: mom who's desperate, um, especially those 12 weeks a year, but but really for people that don't have access to this little school that we have or all this stuff, like, how do we do as you did, how do we get called to build a school? Like what the Sam hell? Because to mm-hmm. me, a charter school is not a place that's been in Minnesota anyway. And I don't mean to misspeak or speak shit of a charter school that's here that I don't know about. But to me, a charter school is a way for a, a group to develop their own thing, which in large part leaves the additional supports that are needed for our kids and the funding for our kids. To be supported out? Yeah. So yeah. how do you build something that then your community can supplement and all the things? Like I realize Missoula is so grassroots, but what the heck? How did you do that?
5: Blood,
1: sweat, tears, fecal yeah. matter, and all of <laughs> the things. <laughs> um, all the things. And and just like the deepest desire to see a child thriving. And and honestly putting that before my own needs in a lot of regards, and which led to the burnout, which led to my crusade to like become whole.
2: Um, <laughs> regard, the track. I,
1: I guess I just want to empower parents to say that like it does not have to look like what the traditional model looks like. And just mm-hmm. because public school is telling you it's XYZ, no, your child's well-being is the most important thing. And if they cannot give you that then then you have to go rogue and you have to figure it out and you know like there's montana's laws are very loose which is why we were able to create such a alternative program and unaccredited and that kind of stuff but it's really just like the relationship between the parent and the educator that allowed us to do this very individualized work and you know, between Zach and I, we were a really great team and just like well-spoken and just like so strong in our convictions. <laughs> and that like, if you get an obstacle and you can't, you can't get over it, go around because yeah. your child's well being is what matters the most. And no one's going to throw you in jail for doing right by your child. And so like, it it doesn't. It's not gonna look like what the mainstream looks like. It, it's not. Yeah. I can't. it's broken. The whole system is broken, and I feel for educators because they are within this system that they have very little control to change. And and like, please keep showing up for those kids. You know, like please, we need you. But also like get a collective get a group of moms and like you have to find that person who is willing to have their boots on the ground with these kids who are who has the compassion and has the skill level and has the ability to look through this lens and then they and then that person needs someone to tap them out when taskmaster
2: they, yeah taskmaster
1: but they yeah. are getting overwhelmed by, yeah. by the, the needs of, of these children and academics that is not the. It does not need to be the focus. And we need to regulate their nervous systems, regulate their bodies, give them social skills, give them a language for nonviolence, give them an ability to keep, communicate, give them ability to understand how they work in the world. And and that is that's not yes,
0: please that's, yes that's
1: not leaving no child behind right like that that is taking care of the needs of this child. Regardless of what is being said to us in media or from our legislative bodies or from the the corporate structure that has become public school,
5: mm-hmm.
1: um, and so you know, I just empower parents. That it, whatever you need to do, like it, it doesn't have to. Be, they don't have to go to school, you know. <laughs> like, but yeah. but also, if you need to work and you need to put them somewhere, you know, like there's got to be something. The, the whole system, the whole system, needs- yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I will say that you can usually go to your state website and it has the licensure requirements for schools. So, like Carly was saying, there's a looser licensure requirement in Montana. So, there's ways to get around to any parents out there who want to do this. Please, please do it because <laughs> yeah. I live here. That'd be great.
1: Yeah. Um, well, we can package the model and just like send a packet to
2: right. look. Mm-hmm. Carly can
1: package. The model I, fe- for I you feel people. like
0: Plan a lot available. of Minnesota Let's do that package tomorrow, please. <laughs> please.
4: I feel like um a lot of the schools are not, not not the teachers necessarily, but the higher ups are more concerned with like test scores and how things look on the outside than like what is happening the, to the individual children in the individual. Because classroom. it's all it's,
2: like- tied up with money. Yes, Mm -hmm. I was going to say that too. Yeah, so you can look at the licensure requirements. Sometimes they have requirements for who can run the school, what type of education that they have, all these different things of how many kids can be under, whose person. Um, Like Arizona had charter schools, public school, private schools. And the same dollars that went to the public school could go to your child for a Charter school, which was amazing. They had autism-specific charter schools there. You know all these different programs because their licensure requirements and money is divvied up differently. But your state should have that on their licensure website, and then also you have to come up with the dollar dollar bills to make this happen. Yeah,
1: we were, <laughs> we were a nonprofit and tuition based, and yeah. and we we wanted to give it away for free, and and I worked for pennies for a lot of years so that all of the money coming in could go back into the program and uh yeah the I believe that the PPP funding that came through the pandemic emergency funds um would have floated us into brave new world where parents within sending their kids back to school in the pandemic were like we're figuring it out we're not sending our kids there you know and we would have been at capacity and And been thriving, uh, in a lot of ways, and I, I would love to see the entire structure of how we educate children in this country undergo incredible changes, yeah, um, so that we can actually serve the child.
2: We love, we love to drop dreams on this podcast. We do. We have so many big dreams. Expensive dreams. (laughs) (laughs) They're always expensive and -hmm. they're always just filled with hope. (laughs) I hope that too. I hope they change the freaking public school education or at least where I could choose to send my children. So there's other options for kids that do not fit into this standardized model. Yeah. they're plugging. Carly, you're amazing. People can find you. Tell us where people can find you. We also have a retreat we partnered on me, you, and my sister that's coming in September. So, so tell people about that.
1: My website is pursueconsciously.com.
2: I'll put the link in the yeah. description.
1: And anyone can book a consultation call with me for free. And also, we are having a retreat in Whitefish. It is called Renew and Release. And this year's topic of the Renew and Release retreat is all about stress and burnout. And so we're going to talk about signs and symptoms of stress and burnout are, and what the studies and evidence-based Science that's coming out around how we build that up in our body and what we do to discharge that from our body so that we can complete the stress response cycle and we don't get that buildup of cortisol and other stress hormones that soak our brains and make us less functional. It's at the Spirit Works Herb Farm in Whitefish, Montana, which is a wonderful property that has. A sauna and a cold plunge and a movement studio and um really lovely place and it's gonna be like meet and gather share our stories we'll have movement and contemplative practices in the morning i'll do a 90 minute kind of didactic educational session and then we'll have lunch and some free time, I'll do an afternoon educational session, and then we'll have an evening movement and um, contemplative practice session. Uh, we'll do two full days of that. So arriving Friday, leaving Monday, or if people need to come in Saturday and leave Sunday, that's also available to them. But um, we do have the plates from Friday night to checking out Monday morning. There's actually looking now only seven spots left. To- Yay to fill retreat. And it is all food included. We're going to have it catered by a local vegetarian person, uh, chef <laughs> in the flathead. And uh, so just looking forward to connecting and teaching people and just like empowering people to take their lives back from the systemic over culture that dumpster we fire. People. We
2: <laughs> like to call it the dumpster fire.
3: <laughs> That's so cool. This is oh, weird. But I was just reading a book and uh, a biography, and the person went to rehab in it, and he was talking about a lot of that kind of stuff. And I was like, "Man, I'm not addicted to anything, but I need rehab." So this is, like, <laughs> perfect.
2: Yeah, oh <laughs> a dumping of the burnout. It's. I'm excited. I'm really excited. People can also um, get coaching from you, teachers. Sounds like the school system could use your trainings. Reach out to Carly. She's pretty amazing, spectacular person. Filled with light. Love it. So I'll put your um, website in the description so people can find it. And I feel like we could talk about more things besides school with you, Carly. I thank you so much for coming. Joining Thank us.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yeah.
2: Thank you. Nice
3: to meet you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us at the table for this episode of the Table for Five No Reservations Podcast. Big thank you to all of our supporters. If you would like to become a supporter, please check out the description of this episode where you will also find episode information, how to sign up for our newsletter and find links to us individually. Join us next Monday for more. And while you wait, check out our content on Facebook and Instagram. If you are enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and rate and review us wherever you listen. To contact us, you can email us at Podcast.com at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. Can't wait to sit with you again.